This episode of TechPod is brought to you by SolarWinds Hybrid Cloud Observability, a full-stack solution that helps organizations of all sizes ensure availability and reduce remediation time across on-premises and multi-cloud environments. To learn more, visit solarwinds.com slash hybrid dash cloud dash observability. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Tech Pod. Today's episode is called It's All Tech to Me, and I am Chris Bowie. I'm one of the product marketing managers here at SolarWinds, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Sean Sebring. Sean, why don't you give a little intro about yourself? Yes, Sean Sebring, Senior Solutions Engineer, specifically for our ITSM products, and co-host of the SolarWinds Tech Pod. Woohoo! So I think that a couple of the topics which would be interesting to talk about today, Sean, were really how to talk tech as a non-technical person and how to talk tech with non-technical people. I think those are two, two different, quite different things. And you and I come at those from very different perspectives in terms of like you being a techie, me not so much, not, not having kind of studied technology or had a degree in computer science or anything like that. So yeah, I think I think we've got quite a good good groundwork for a fun conversation today. Yeah, and I think that one of our previous tech pods we did, uh, which was um, IT Pro Day, everyone's an IT pro at some level. Uh, so I'm sure to somebody, even a non-technical person, could be considered a technical person. And I think that perspective is one of the important things to consider. Um, and 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 to be honest, not to be too cheesy here, but I think confidence will come into play. But they are excellent perspectives to have because to somebody it's not tech and to somebody it's too technical and it's it's just a great way to look at things yeah that's that's a good point i think a fun question to start with is how do you describe your job to your family around the thanksgiving table we're coming up to that time of year you know everyone's trying to catch up on what have you been up to how do you sean explain what you do in kind of simple terms this one's a fun one. It's hard to talk about yourself, so I'll pretend somebody says it about me. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But one of the ways that I try to describe what I do is I translate. So go figure. This is great for the topic. And it's translating nerd talk, so to speak, geek talk, tech talk, into terms that are understandable to anybody so that anybody can understand it. Um, and I think a lot of it is very useful and valuable, particularly for what I happen to do, which is fortunate. Um, in sales. For what I do, selling technology, we need to be able to sell to anybody. And that person may not always be technical. So it's a very handy skill. And I'm not saying I'm the best at it, but it's a good skill for anyone to have. And I think it's it's what's going to make this conversation pretty fun is talking about some of the ins and outs of it and realizing that you probably do it more often than you realize and that it can be done at any level because even if you're an expert at something that has nothing to do with technology, you're still technical at that. And you have to be able to describe that to somebody. So when I talk to family or friends at the Thanksgiving table, it's a translator. I love that. I think that's that's a very good point. And I, you especially are very good at speaking in analogies just from the past you know, past couple episodes we've done together, you know, you bring in Jurassic Park or you'll bring in another fun analogy that just makes it makes it easier for folks to understand. And just to reinforce that point of speaking about tech to non-technical people, I think the term, um, what is it? Be brief, be bright, be gone comes to mind um, because you really want to get your point across quickly. You want to make sure that you're really highlighting the key value props, especially in 
my line of work in product marketing, you want to make sure the value props come across really clearly and plainly, especially if you're speaking to sellers who might not have a technical background. Um, and you want to make sure that the functionality of the products also directly correlates to customer pain points so that they, when they're having conversations with customers, they start recognizing that language and thinking, oh, okay, I've, I've learned about this particular pain point and I know which solution has the, that kind of can solve for that problem. So definitely, I completely, completely agree with what you're saying. It's just about trying to reframe something technical in an easy to understand and like bite size way. Chris, what was that? What was that phrase again? Say it one more time for me. Be brief, be bright, be gone. Be brief, be bright, be gone. No, I like that though. I didn't coin it. I it's not my phrase. <laughs> hey, that's okay. I I almost put it down, but just using my own brief notes, you know, I had keep it simple, which is be brief, right? And then uh goal or results focused. Um, so that's kind of the uh be gone. You'd mentioned earlier, you know, what's the pain point, right? We want to focus on a, a specific outcome. Um, so what are we trying to explain? Like, what's that end result? And I think that's super important too. Uh, be brief, be what? Be bright. Be bright. Okay. I can do that. I'm sunshine yellow. Exactly. <laughs> so that's really kind of what is, what's the key differentiator? What's something that's really exciting that's going to capture their attention? Um, yeah. When you're kind of speaking to, to folks like that. So I, I think one of the ways that I, I like to start off and and this starts in my sales process too, right? So if I'm going to work with somebody who's telling me their pain points, um, a lot of times, especially the less technical they are, they may not even realize what they need. So kind of leading them with questions is the best way. So asking them questions as the technical expert might be one of the best ways to start. You know, let them at least give you their high level introduction to what they want to know about. Right. They may have an initial question or they may present an initial pain point or problem. And that's always important. You need to hear that. Right. Because if if someone just puts in a ticket that says help, you're still going to have to ask a question that says with what. Right. So you need to get that with what. But after they present with what, then you get to lead questions. Right. You start to get the inference of what's going on. Lead with another question so that you're saying, okay, now I need to extract the right information so I know what the problem is, or I know what I need to explain or teach or share with you. Uh, so questions is one of the best ways. It also, just from kind of like a psychological way, helps them to understand or gets them to start asking themselves the question because uh, they may not have thought about that before. Um, I have a good example of where this is especially useful um, and it's with reporting, reports. I, I've mentioned this before, but I think of reports as storytelling. Um, a report is there as a tool to help tell a story. It's got a visual component usually. Um, you can also think of them as a, you know, a table view too. But either way, they're there to represent data to help you tell a story. Folks will come up to me in the ITSM space and say, I need a report that looks like this. And they are dumbfounded sometimes when I say, why? Right. Who's the audience of this? Who reads it? Who digests the report? And for what purpose? Right. Do you have metrics or is it just interesting? And sometimes they don't quite know, but stepping back and realizing, well, why do we do this might help them understand that they need to just rethink what are they actually asking a question about? What don't they understand that they want to understand? Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting point. I am now curious to know your origin story. How did you come to be a senior solutions engineer? What made you the Sean Sebring we know today? So my background, as far as starting technical, 
was playing StarCraft um, on my computer, or maybe even Baldur's Gate. Pretty old, pretty old games. Well, not that old, but it, anyway, it gives a date. So I played some games on my computer, and in, neither of those had anything to do with my first jobs, which was working at a restaurant and then being an electrician for a brief amount of time. Uh, but I got an opportunity to work for a video game company, which led into just talking to people. And again, this is actually a perfect way to go back to something I brought up earlier, which is everyone's a technical expert at something. And technical doesn't have to mean technology. It just happens to be what we mostly focus on here because, hey, we're solar winds, We sell technology. <laughs> so when we think about that, what I did was I supported a video game. To the person on the other side of that asking for help in the game, I'm the technical expert. And it's not actually technology they have questions about. It could be a quest or an item um, or just, hey, where did this go, right? And maybe I'm using technology to deliver what they're getting, but it's not actually from a technical experience, right? I'm just using my UI. To everyone, someone is more technical. And that's really where I had started. And then what got me further into it is just sitting behind a computer for so long, right? You eventually kind of become a little bit of a technical expert. Um, and this is where I say that anybody is more of a, a tech person than they realize, because just using something and developing some tribal knowledge of your own, you're going to become more technical than you realize. And so if you just give yourself a chance to try, sometimes you might realize that you had it all along. That's a very, very good point. And it, it kind of reminds me of, of sort of how I stumbled into tech. My my background is non-conventional when you think about kind of working in tech. I say non-conventional, but I haven't I haven't surveyed everyone that works at SolarWind, so I can't definitively say that's the case. But my degree was in art history and I was very much, you know, arts and theory minded, never really thought technology was something that I could get into, but I was very fortunate enough to to get the job at SolarWinds in the demand gen marketing team, which really kind of plunged me into the world of tech and software and having to understand on-prem software, which was something that was a completely new world to me. But I just found myself gradually asking more questions, being more curious, wanting to know more about how the products worked technically. And that kind of led into my evolution into product marketing, where I wanted to, to be more hands-on with actually creating content and being more in the forefront of strategy of of features that are released or products that are taken to market. So that's that's kind of how I found my way into tech as well. So in to to get your art history degree, so to speak, um, I'm not sure if that's exactly what it is. Did you get an art history degree? Yes. I did. Okay. Yeah. So to get a degree in art history, tell me what technology you used. I'm sure you had to use some. It wasn't all just textbooks and going to a museum that had dusty uh, sculptures in it. <laughs> No, I would say, so I was quite fortunate that I was of the generation that got to leverage, you know, computers to do my research predominantly. So I'd be referencing, you know, JSTOR, that's where you can access a lot of journals online for learning. And so I was very, and my degree, by the way, was in East Asian art specifically. So my, the university I went to was the School of Oriental and African Studies. Um, and so it was a very non-conventional degree anyway. And so a lot of the resources that I needed to access, thanks to thanks to the Internet, I was able to do so easily without having to, you know, I don't know, travel abroad and, and source materials directly from China and Japan. I was able to find resources that were translated online. And that's another perfect scenario of if you need a technical expert at finding some antiquated art history knowledge, I know <laughs> who to go to first. 
so I might be rusty now, these days, but yeah, you're you're still much more my technical senior uh, when it comes to that. <laughs> but I think that's great. Yeah, no, and it's it's also fun uh, for us as co-hosts to get to talk a little bit about each other's uh, backgrounds and and get to know each other. And I think this also gave us an opportunity to use some analogies to just you know kind of represent how technical. Uh, doesn't have to just be about technology. I think technology has kind of created its own intimidating silo of folks who say, I am technology oriented. I am a technical person. When my five-year-old is better at navigating her Amazon Fire tablet than I am, <laughs> um, she's the technical expert when it comes to that. I bet she's an absolute whiz. How would you describe around the Thanksgiving table what you do? just out of curiosity? Yes. I'm glad you threw that question back to me. I think for me, it's mostly about storytelling and, and understanding customer pain points, as, as I've kind of mentioned before. So what I would tell families that I write content, whether that's long form content, white papers, blogs, to really tell the story of how our solutions solve for customer pain points. Um, and I also would tell them that I do a bit of research into the market as well, just to to really understand yeah, who our competitors are. So that would be, it's not a very glamorous explanation, but that would probably be how I would describe it. And then they would be tuning out in a second. They'd say, okay, I don't know. I don't know what the products that you, that you own do. So <laughs> let's move Well, on. <laughs> marketing research is another thing where, you know, I wouldn't intentionally tune out, but it immediately, it starts to sound like the peanuts teacher to me. <laughs> so I, I completely you know, again, that just goes back to, you know, you're you're able to do something technical that I'm not. So I think another thing that really drew me to to tech and tech marketing in, in particular is just the the kind of broad range of kind of responsibilities and kind of jobs within a job that you can access. So you could be someone that's really data driven, analytics focused, or someone that's more creative and likes to think of campaign ideas, someone that's quite strategic and likes to think of broader go-to-market strategies. So it's it's a really varied role. Um, and I'm kind of pivoting some of those answers to describe what I do in, in product marketing. But that's really one of the things that attracted me to tech mar marketing in particular is just how varied it is. Well, and one other piece, and this is actually perfect for uh, what I wanted to bring up next is eye-catching is, is a way I'll put it. Eye-catching, right? When you think about marketing, something has to be eye-catching because that's the form of communication that we lead with is visual uh, for the most part, especially marketing, I would imagine, is it has to catch the eye. And since we're talking about, you know, it's all tech to me, it's typically we're thinking of it from a technology perspective is technology is graphical for the most part nowadays. We have roles and even uh, C-level positions dedicated to user experience, right? There's UX. Everything's about UX. So a lot of technology, and I think that for the most extreme non-technical people, which again, we're talking about technology, they may not realize that it's all buttons. Okay, I'm oversimplifying it, but it's all buttons nowadays for the most part, right? It's learning a UI, it's learning buttons, which is again, maybe where video games helped me in my journey to become a tech expert, so to speak, is learning that everything is just a different series of inputs, right? And inputs are just pressing buttons and pressing buttons is playing video games. So if we take it all the way back, playing video games, you're a coder. Just 
just kidding. But in, in the same <laughs> sense, it makes me think, and this may show actually how non-technical I might really be, is how do we make a computer? We use other computers, right? So technology has made technology even more simple. And let, let's let that sink in for a minute. That's kind of a weird thing to think about. But technology <laughs> has made using technology even, even easier. Uh, so it's not nearly as technical as most people think nowadays. It's just kind of understanding a specific space. So my family is, a lot of my family history is from Texas, we're hat makers. And that's something that's very technical. And if someone walked into the hat shop and said, how do you make a hat? You know, if they gave them a quick 15 to 30 minute description and even maybe walk through of what steps they would do, I can guarantee you that the retention would be about the same as someone who walked into a, a network closet and said, can you tell me how all these pieces work? Yeah, I think I think you're spot on, to be honest. It's, it's all about the expertise of that person. Um, so you could apply that to any industry, couldn't you? I'm sure. And that's one of the things that that I really like just to circle back to technology for a moment and what you said earlier about you're never you're never the the expert in the room. You know, there is always someone that that you can learn something from. And I found that to be especially valuable when I was starting out in product marketing at SolarWinds, just not being afraid to ask questions. And I know that we've chatted about this before, but being being the person that says, okay, I feel comfortable and not knowing the answer to this admitting that, asking for help. You know, one of the things I did to, to try to get up to speed on the products that I support was going into the demo, prodding around with the online demo, and then asking my PM, what does this do? Um, what's this widget? What, is it, what does it mean? Kind of how does that contribute to the wider story of, of the solution itself? And, and so, yeah, I think those are, it's really important to know your limits, but in a, in a good way. I think that limits are there for you to, to move past them and to grow from. So, I think not being afraid to admit gaps in your knowledge is a real strength in technology. It's a spectrum, right? You're a technical person, but you can uh, you can gain that technical knowledge. So the way you were just describing that, actually, in, in a sense, you were, I'll say it this way, a technical person who in that specific scenario was a non-technical expert, right? And so you outlined some very, very, very important things, which I'm going to lead with keeping an open mind. Um, and the reason I say keep an open mind is because you may not know the answer and that's okay. Ask questions. So just like when you're a technical person talking to a non-technical person, you ask questions to learn what they're trying to know or, or what their current level of knowledge is so that you can explain it. Uh, to be a better non-technical person in the scenario, do the same thing, asking questions, I mean, as, as humans, we're curious people. So the best way for us to learn is to ask, not necessarily to be told. So if you ask a question, that means your mind's thirsty for that answer. And so it's just going to make that answer that much more valuable than if someone just told you uh, where there may not have been a spot for that answer to go, right? So there's, it's a little bit easier for someone to, to learn if there was an initial question in the first place. The other part of, of what you said, well, it was, it was just actually, never mind. I go back. It's just ask questions. That's, that's an excellent way to do it. But you were, you were talking from that persona of the non-technical person. And I wanted to very much call out and even point back to our IT pro day that you can still, and, and this is why I said spectrum, be a, a non-technical expert, but a technical person who is ramping that knowledge. And I think you said that ramping, right? So it, it's it's all 
tech to me. <laughs> it's all tech to me. And that means that, that uh, you know, just because I'm at the lower end of the knowledge spectrum on a certain piece of technology doesn't mean I can't eventually be a, uh, towards the top or a leader in that in that space. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I um, had several very humbling moments when I had my exciting opportunity of getting to go to my first trade show this year that was in Las Vegas. I was put with a really fantastic group of people at SolarWinds, mix of sales, marketing, um, solutions engineers, and it was a, a great bunch. But what I got to do, which I haven't had that much exposure to yet, was speaking to customers firsthand. And as you know, Sean, a lot of our customers are practitioners. They are IT pros themselves. They might be network admins. They are technical folks. They know what they're looking for. They know what questions they want to ask. And so in many cases, people would come to our booth and they'd say, tell us about what's new. I would give, you know, give a little bit of context and background as to why we were at the trade show and what we were excited to tell them about. And then they might plunge into a specific question or issue they were having with their SolarWinds solutions and, and they might get very specific very quickly. And so I had to be comfortable with saying, I don't know the answer to that, but I will find you someone who does. And so that's that's what I mean when I say it was humbling because in many situations, things would kind of quickly escalate to quite a technical in-depth conversation. And and I had no problem with with putting my hand up and saying, this is very interesting and very, you know, very important. Let's find you someone who can really help you delve into that question in more detail. I like that. And I want to expand on it because it's there's an opportunity there and it it's resonating with everything that we've been discussing. Um, so take take that exact scenario, for example, because I deal with that scenario a lot. And sometimes I'm I'm the person in the same shoes you were because I deal with certain pieces of technology or, or areas, for example, network, where I'm not an expert. Um, so what I first ask is, what is your question, right? And that sounds like how you'd started as well. Like, what's the question? Okay, I don't know the answer to that, but I will help get it. I'm always going to be met with, when I go ask the appropriate expert, why? Why do they want that? Why do they want to use that, right? So, and this goes back to asking questions in the first place is, sometimes if somebody says, I want a shovel, they don't really want a shovel. They want a hole, right? And they need a shovel to make a hole, to dig a hole. So it's not somebody asking you for a shovel. What they're really asking you for is, how can I make a hole? I'm used to a shovel. If you've got one, I'll use it, but I need a hole. Do you have a way for me to dig a hole? And so that's a perfect scenario. And I think it's one where you can be a tech person without being the technical expert right there by not knowing the answer. That's okay. Like you said, it's very humbling and it's, it's very acceptable to not know the answer and technology. You're never going to know every answer, but when you are met with a specific topic, you don't know the answer to, it's also important to ask why, not just what's your question, but why do you need it? Why do you, why are you asking? That's a very good point. And thinking about the broader context is absolutely essential. You're right. Because, you know, we, we have lots of solutions and we could, we could say, you need a shovel, here's a shovel. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. Asking the wider context, okay, so you actually want to dig a hole. What are you digging a hole for? What's the purpose? And then it finds out they want to do landscaping work in their backyard and they want to put a deck. And so it really, it really widens, widens the, the kind of conversation and you start to put together the pieces as to why they wanted that shovel in the first place. Excellent analogy, Mr. Analogy King. <laughs> And, and you took that and you were already a, a, a tech person because you just took it even one level higher. You said, 
why do you want a hole? That's perfect. That's exactly <laughs> that's exactly how we get better at being tech experts is asking those questions. One of the ways you brought some of this up was how does a tech person talk to a non-technical person? And I want to I want to comment something else on that. Um, and it's just about a skill that I see uh, folks need maybe some polish on or just some self-awareness sometimes. I mean, it's a note that both you and I had had in, in different terms, the way you brought it up at the beginning, be brief. And I'd said, keep it simple. Uh, so when you're explaining something or talking to someone non-technical, whatever the reason might be, of course, you need to get that. Make sure you're not over-explaining. Sometimes as a technical expert, you're very passionate. And so you want to flex your knowledge, maybe, whether you realize it or not. And we have to be you know, careful about that. You may want to flex your knowledge or... You want to explain in such a way that you're educating them on more than they need to know. And it's it's very important to be brief. It's very important to make sure that you're answering the question or delivering the appropriate result. And you're not teaching just because you're passionate about it. Don't get me wrong. There's a place for that. Get, get a podcast, right? Join TechPod. Uh, come be a guest. We'll give anyone an opportunity to talk at length. But I think when you're talking to that non-technical person, it's very important to make sure that you're specific and keeping it simple when you're giving that answer. Otherwise, you may overwhelm them and we'll go back to the peanuts sound. It's all just going to become noise instead of it's all tech to me in a good way. It's all tech to me in a wrong way. I do think that's quite a difficult skill to learn. For people that don't have that skill, I'm not saying I do or don't, <laughs> but I'm always open to learning. How would you recommend that someone, how would you recommend going about that? How would you recommend kind of being more brief and succinct when you're trying to get your point across to non-technical people? How do you approach that, for example? Analogies definitely help, but that's also a little bit of a skill. Um, so I think that the best the best way to do it is when you're asking questions, because questions are going to be your best tool. They always will be. First, ask questions to identify what they want to know and why. And then as you were attempting to explain it, you can try to use other questions to help make sure that they're keeping up or staying along. Does that make sense? Right. So I'll call them milestone questions. Or, you know, did that part of the explanation make sense? Are you still with me? So doing just a, a pulse check on where they're at and keeping up with the technology conversation. Is there anything I need to help explain a little better so that this is clear and understood? I think really questions are the best. Of course, if you've got means of communication, such as something we brought up earlier, visual, visual helps a lot. If I'm explaining something to somebody and we're both on camera and I can see that glazed over look, that's <laughs> clearly telling me they've lost interest and or they're overwhelmed with trying to take notes and figure out what in the heck we're still talking about. That's a very important part too, which if you're in a professional scenario and uh, communication is a part of your job, it's, it's difficult for many introverts, but I highly encourage folks to gain comfort in, in using that visual component because as humans, it's very important. And there's so much communication that takes place non-verbally. Um, th that's going to help a lot. A couple of tips there, right? Questions, visual cues, um, and then analogies, if you if you can. Now, analogies, again, are, are a tricky one. If you're, if you're not comfortable with them, don't try it. That's okay. But I think you'll, you'll find that you use them in your own mind more than you realize. So figuring out ways to articulate how you think of something is probably analogy you didn't realize you were using all along. That's very nice. That's a very nice way to, to cap that off. 
And when you were speaking about kind of visual cues, this is a sort of different, I'm taking this in a different trajectory, but I, I imagine you do a lot of demoing in your day-to-day -day of kind of product functionality. So when you're thinking about demos, how do you make sure that you you kind of keep keep your listeners or you kind of keep the folks on the phone engaged um, when you're going through an in-depth demo, for example? Engagement, um, I guess, would be the first and biggest word, uh, which you can kind of break off into bite-sized pieces of what involves engagement. Um, and again, that's that communication is how many directions? It's is at least more than one. <laughs> it's at least I more failed. than one. I failed the test. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's okay. Because there isn't, I guess there's not really a specific answer, but it's at least more than one. It's not one way. We'll put Two it that street. way. Two-way street. Two-way street. Yeah. So, and again, another thing, like, I'm, I'm so happy you brought it up because it gives another perspective of it, um, you know, especially being in sales is that um, when I have new hires that I'm training or folks that are joining the team and, you know, they're super nervous because they're doing a mock demo, showing me what I'm the expert of showing them, right? That creates another sense of anxiety for the person. And what often happens is they just run, right? Just go. Um, mm -hmm. they're trying to overanalyze and, and feel like, oh, I, you know, I've got to complete this or show everything or you get nervous. And so you just, and this is where I was mentioning, you start explaining things that aren't relevant. So making sure you understand again, what's the question when I'm demoing, I, I hopefully already understood what are your pain points so I can show you answers to that. That's going to help maintain the engagement. But then throughout, after I show a, an answer or a feature that could help address somebody's pain point, stop and ask, do you think that would be useful? Do you think that would be helpful? Would that solve what you guys are looking for? And keeping those questions as open-ended as possible, not just yes or no questions, which are the ones I happen to bring up, but do you see how this would solve or how could this solve for you, right? Those are ways to force that engagement. And that engagement's important because, and again, I brought up an analogy earlier, a, a mind is more receptive when it has a question, right? That question creates a hole and then an answer can fill the hole. Whereas if there was no question asked in the first place, it's hard to just insert what you want them to hear, right? It's not as, as successful as someone who said, I have a question and then you deliver the answer to it. So making sure that it's not just a demonstration, they are called demos, um, but I, I would prefer for any interaction I have to be just that, an interaction and engagement um, is dynamic. In fact, I keep my camera on uh, while I'm demonstrating and I love it when they keep their cameras on because if I see nods, I know I'm showing the right things. If I see people not paying attention, I'll ask more questions because engagement is so important. Again, no matter what topic you're talking about from a technical perspective, if they're not able to hear you or if they're not listening, it's not going to be a successful talk. That's exactly right. You captured that really well. Thank you. One other thing that I like I like to, to help emphasize, and questions are a part of it, and we keep bringing up questions. They're the most important thing, I think, when you're talking technical, no matter what, because we need to answer a question. It's like science, right? Um, you need to answer a question. <laughs> Write down the uh, hypothesis, uh, all this stuff. Um, on that note, uh, you could think of the hypothesis as one of the things I'd mentioned I do up front from a demo which is the goal or results focus. Um, what is the outcome someone is looking for? And it doesn't have to be from a demonstration or for a sale. Um, it could be for anything. 
someone just asking a question. And we actually have some excellent scenarios coming up because observability is a newer part of how technology is being managed. And a lot of people have questions about what is observability. Um, And in describing that, I've seen it as a challenge for many people, even if they're the expert at answering the question. And it's because they don't know what questions people have about observability in order to answer them. So what is observability is a huge question. It's broad um, and it's going to require several different angles to answer. So breaking down sub questions to what is observability will help answer that. Um, And I think that that's a perfect example of something that we could use to to help kind of describe this. So on that note, Chris, um, you're actually a product marketing person in in the observability space. Um, Is this something that you could give us a little bit of uh, background on? Yeah, of course. So observability traditionally is seen as kind of correlating metrics, traces, and logs, and really pulling together data from all parts of your infrastructure across your network and systems and applications um, to proactively gain insights to really drive um, mean time to resolution and kind of increase and accelerate um, problem solving in your environment. So one of the things that hybrid cloud observability does really well, um, and we've taken lots of feedback from customers about what they've wanted, because as you know, SolarWinds has a really rich monitoring history for network and systems, is what we've done is we've, we've created a kind of comprehensive and intelligent solution that really helps you correlate those insights into one product. So gone are the days of having to try to kind of get your different vendors to to talk to one another if you have one solution that monitors your network performance and you have one solution from a different vendor that monitors your server performance. Now you get all of that just in one single solution that's super simple and easy to use. So what we're trying to to really express to customers is that you don't have to, to kind of build your own observability solution with hybrid cloud observability. We offer that platform And we also offer several dashboards within that that can kind of correlate those insights all together in one place. Okay, so I'm going to play Q&A with you on this topic. Would you say that observability replaces monitoring? And you can keep it brief. I would not. You would not say that. Why? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it replaces monitoring. I would say it's the next evolution in monitoring because Monitoring is extremely important and it lays really the foundation for observability. The difference between observability and monitoring in my mind is observability layers in a lot more automation. So AI ops, machine learning capabilities to then help users be more proactive. They don't have to be kind of sitting at their computer all day trying to figure out, okay, how do these different disparate data sources talk to each other? How can I really get to the get to the meat and bones of, of any issues that are happening. Um, they can get, you know, they can really filter through that noise and, and try to get their answers more quickly. I don't know if that was very succinct, but from my perspective, observability really brings in automation and that's that's how it differs from traditional monitoring. Okay. So the succinct is it brings in automation and and that it is not um, an interchangeable term with monitoring. Monitoring might even be a component of or a data point for observability. I would say it's it's a building block towards observability. Yeah, 
like kind of more of a building block towards observability. It, yeah, it sort of lays the foundation. You can't have observability without monitoring. So I think a lot of people would agree with that. Um, so observability is really what you apply to monitoring to help users get more proactive insights quickly and, and helps them filter through the noise, especially when it comes to alerts. Um, you know, I think that a lot of people can relate to experiencing overwhelmed, a deluge of alerts. They think, okay, what is actually something that I need to pay attention to? Observability and hybrid cloud observability in particular solves for those issues really well by kind of helping you identify what truly are anomalies. Okay, so I have some excellent questions that are going to continue the conversation of observability. So I want to take this from the angle of a technical person and non-technical person and see how observability um, can be consumed by both or utilized by both. Because um, I would imagine that, and help me answer this, does a technical expert still need to be involved in using observability tools? It's sort of a two-parter, yes and no. There are definite, for hybrid cloud observability specifically, you're always going to need the practitioners and the users to really to really be able to understand the different components and functionality of the solution from their network to their systems and applications. You will need someone with that expertise to, to drill down into that data if that's required. However, there are opportunities at a really high level through dashboards, for example, that distill the really key points at a really high level for folks like executives who maybe just need to, they need that 10,000 foot view. They don't need to be boots on the ground, seeing exactly all the data points all the time. Um, they just might need a chart that has very digestible data. And for example, we have an executive dashboard that does that really well within the solution. So I think that that's a good uh, way to look at this is, this is one, we'll, we'll call it a platform of technology maybe, maybe that's not the right term, but one uh, one concept of, of technology, observability, I mean, it requires, or it's it's intended for parties of both, right? Of course, monitoring would be the practitioners fairly exclusively. What is my uh, segment, you know, monitoring the network in its performance? But then the network and its performance contribute to other services, and those services are what those executive folks care about. And so part of that observability piece is intended for being consumed by a non-technical group of folks. So one technology intended for both parts, right? Uh, it's intended to help solve or provide uh, functionality to better monitor and address and, and kind of see what's going on in the network. And then the tool itself is digesting that. And this is where I was, I, 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 this came up earlier, technology makes technology better. The tool is, it's, itself is trying to, it's going to produce a digestible result for non-technical parties. That reminds me of, of the line that I used earlier, which is be brief, be bright, be gone. Um, because like you said, having, having a view that really distills the key data into one view um, that's not necessarily designed for practitioners or for experts is absolutely essential. That's actually, now that we're talking about a difference in persona, practitioner versus, let's just continue with maybe executive or leadership. A, a, a friend of mine is in HVAC, and I'll say that he is more on the practitioner level if we're going to relate it to our technology counterparts. So at the practitioner level, if the superintendent on a job site asks a question, what's wrong? This is a perfect scenario where especially you want to be brief. 
So you want to be bright and you want to be gone. So it's an (laughs) excellent analogy for it because they don't want to know how your day went. They don't want to know how it happened. They want to know what happened, right? What's keeping this project, this job, what's keeping this from working, what's keeping this from getting done. So, you know, thinking of it in that scenario, if you were going to summarize it for executive leadership, it's common to accidentally feel the need to babble, but what do they want? They want an answer. They want a result. Um, and so it's a good scenario to, to think about. And I think that, you know, again, talking about analogies, talking about changing it up from being technology oriented in any profession, there's going to be technical and non-technical and reasons for communicating between those two. Yeah, exactly. And, and there are different, you know, different advantages for an observability solution that plays into those different personas, right? So, you know, having a unified view across your environment, that might be something that a practitioner would particularly find useful. Um, Tools consolidation, so being able to limit how many different vendors you leverage might be useful from a procurement standpoint or from leadership. You know, they, they would like to know that they're kind of investing in one solution that can scale with the company and grow with the company as their business needs dictate. So, um, yeah, I think that that's absolutely spot on to think of it from that perspective. Now that we've chatted a bit about different personas and roles in a company, I think a good segue is that we know companies can't function if everyone has the same set of skills. So, Sean, how important do you think it is to have folks from different different kind of educational backgrounds um, within a technology company? From my perspective, it's really important to have that diversity of thought and and I think bringing folks in from different backgrounds, different industries who have different strengths, I think is really important. So that just our earlier conversations about our sort of non-conventional backgrounds really just triggered that question in my mind. I think there's almost never a scenario uh, where versatility isn't awesome, is not the best. Diversity isn't the answer. I, I think it's always the answer. We were actually talking about it right before we started chatting today uh, offline. We were talking about, I just took a assessment as part of a training course. And it's things that many people have probably done before. It's a personality test of sorts, right? And it broke it down into four quadrants. Um, and they used color to represent. They had red, yellow, green, and blue. Um, so it's a perfect way to look at and respond to the question you brought up. Because when I took the assessment, I felt myself as a red and a yellow. Um, Actually, that's what the assessment results yielded. I didn't have any real choice in it until I finished. Um, But as a red, that's fiery red, right? Someone who's a little bit more um, extroverted, a little bit more go, go, go. Um, And then the yellow is a little bit more optimistic, cheerful, excitable, and, and very involved, you know, needs praise. And one of the first things I thought about was one of the opposites of the red, which is the more go, 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 a little bit, a little bit more assertive was green, which is a little bit more on the empathetic side and, and nurturing side. And when we do these shows together, I had diagnosed you, Chris, as being a green <laughs> which I think is wonderful because they say it's complimentary, which I think is a, a perfect way to put it. It's complimentary uh, to the way we, we can work together it is how you help prepare for episodes. Um, without that, we both might be so go, go, go. There's no prepare. There's no note taking. 
So really, this is also an opportunity to give credit to all of the the work that Chris does pre-show to help come up with topics, questions, and things of that nature. Thank you very much. Um, but it also helps to answer that we need each other. We can't all be the same. In fact, there's an episode of Family Matters uh, that is from the 90s. I don't know if anybody's familiar uh, with Steve Urkel. Um, but there's an episode of Family Matters, I think, of where Steve Urkel wanted everyone to be like him. And eventually, at the end of the episode, it was filled with Steve Urkels. And it was not the result that Steve Urkel was looking for. Um, so we can't all be the same. We can't all be the same. You don't want everyone to be the same. You want likeness, but you also want complementary. And you're not going to find complementary without diversity. Isn't it terrible that when you were giving that that description about Family Matters, my brain went to SpongeBob and an episode where Squidward wanted a world of Squidwards. And he thought that that was utopia. He thought it was perfect. And then very quickly, he realized he needed a Patrick and a SpongeBob to, you know, mix things up a little bit. Analogies. They do wonders. Um... <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's kind of a nice way to to bring back the more human element to, to technology, just as, as we were discussing earlier. Um, and thinking about how lots of different people from different walks of life and different backgrounds in terms of education, I think that that's super valuable to have. Okay, Sean, so my favorite part, well, I don't want to say the solely favorite part of every episode because it's it's all great stuff, but one of my favorite parts is the rapid fire question. So I'm just going to throw a couple at you and feel free to fire them back at me. Um, but one that I really like asking folks is, would you rather travel to the past or the future? I will on honestly answer this one. Instead of trying to think too much, I'll just let my gut respond and say past. For some reason, I am just like most people, unfortunately, I think I want to take the knowledge that I have and apply it, right? Even if it was to go relive my own existence and see how things would have played out differently. And maybe that's just a curiosity aspect of it as well. I'm curious if I could take the knowledge I have and do things different, do things, you know, better. Um, but the past, it, it just sounds so interesting. Um, also the eighties would have been really cool to have had as my, you know, my prime, my twenties. Um, instead that's when I was born again to date myself, but, um, <laughs> you know, I just want to be accepted in a jean jacket. I want to wear a <laughs> denim jacket and it's actually, it's the trend. I think that's spot on. And I would agree with you. I think asking myself the rapid fire question, um, the past as well for me, and not necessarily to relive anything. Um, I'm a 90s baby, but um, also I, I'm someone that's really drawn to nostalgia and especially 80s nostalgia. So for me, just being able to be a fly on the wall or even to go back in time and experience what life was like pre a lot of these technological advancements that you and I take advantage of today you know, even just like having a phone that does absolutely everything. I would just be so curious to to know how I would function. Would I be wishing that I was back <laughs> back in 2022 within five minutes? Or would I enjoy the freedoms of of not having, you know, everything in my pocket, having to to find things more manually? Well, you'd truly get to laugh with a little bit more um, knowledge that, uh, yes, I will carry a calculator with me everywhere that I go. Um, okay. So I actually wanted to ask you this, whether we did rapid fire or not, but it's related to one of our rapid fire questions. So what are some of your passions outside of technology? And I'm going to focus this on art. Uh, so you are an art history major and 
I probably know the answer still, but concert or a really, really nice art museum? That's a very, very good question because both, I mean, I could be in the mood for both at any one time, but I'm going to say an art museum um, just because that's, that's sort of where my roots are. And I find a lot of Zen, for example, I went to the Chicago Institute, which is actually, it's kind of funny. I was going for Lollapalooza in Chicago, but I went to the Art Institute right before the concert. So I really did both things. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed just walking around the quiet halls of a museum and just, yeah, just kind of thinking about art, thinking about history. Um, that was really special. And then I went to Lollapalooza and had lots of fun at the concert. A splendid mix of introvert and extrovert. <laughs> I would describe myself as a extroverted introvert. Yeah, I, I'll accept that answer. I know some some folks like that as well. So um, accepted. <laughs> okay, I have I have one. Um, oh no, this was going to be one for me to ask you. No, you have to make oh. up your own. <laughs> <laughs> Go find your own. Okay, I have a rapid-fire-ish question for you. Um, have you ever seen TED Talks? I'm sure you have. Yes. Do you have a favorite TED Talk? And do you want to just tell me the topic of it? You don't have to, you know, go into all the details of it. I actually do not. And, and I'm really exposing myself here because it's been years since I've truthfully watched a TED Talk. So that's a, not a great question <laughs> for me because I don't have one that comes to mind. But I would love to throw back that question to you. Okay, so I do. Um, I was hoping you would have thrown it back anyway. Um, and we'll have to get you some TED Talks and in more current. But my favorite TED Talk was one I actually didn't watch until after I was told about it. And it had to do with a gentleman who uh, went to college. And on his first day of orientation, there was someone standing there um, and they gave him a lollipop. And they said something inspirational. It was just something that was kind that stuck with that student for the entire career. Um, and then years and years later, that same student had come back and was delivering TED Talks. And the, the professor, whoever was there at that orientation moment, didn't remember the student, but said something kind and inspirational. But in that moment, they pulled out a lollipop and we gave it to that professor and said, you gave me a lollipop moment. You inspired me when I was terrified on my first day of school. I didn't know if I was going to be able to complete college. Um, in that moment, what you said inspired me throughout my entire college career. So a lollipop moment, one, because it's an analogy that I can use in other situations. And I love analogies. Um, but two, because I think it's good motivation for us to always be kind because you never know who you're going to be able to inspire. And you never know how that's going to affect the person. Yeah, that's a really good point and a, a lovely way to close out, I think. I really enjoyed our conversations about it's all tech to me. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in today to our tech pod. Sean, I really enjoyed our chat today. How about you? Thank you, Chris. I had a great time as well. Thank you all for listening. And that's it for our episode today of the Solar Winds Tech Pod. Thanks again for listening.